rethinking and reshaping the resilience of the food systems in Africa. And also, the IMF has cut its global growth forecast. That and more in this episode. Good morning, Africa, and welcome aboard your pulse on everything business in Africa. I am Ruth Adong. For more, follow us on Twitter at The K Financial, and you can find me at Ruth Adong. There is a critical need for holistic solutions across all sectors to reshape food systems to counteract the humanitarian crisis of severely stretched global food systems. Russia's invasion of Ukraine is testing the capacity of global food systems to feed the world in times of crisis. An estimated 1.7 billion people, most of them in developing economies, could suffer severely increased food insecurity, higher energy prices or greater debt burdens. This is according to the UN Task Team for Global Crisis Response Group. Now, a new report from the Boston Consulting Group BCG titled The War in Ukraine and the Rush to Feed the World explores in detail the multiple direct and indirect impact of the turmoil in Ukraine and provides near and medium term solutions to help respond to the crisis and also improve the resilience of global food systems. Chris Mitchell, Managing Director and Partner at the Boston Consulting Group Nairobi, joins us for this episode to expound more on this report. The Ukraine and Russia war has exacerbated an already strained food system on the continent. What are some of the critical issues that were dogging food systems on the continent? We already had uh, food prices that were at historical highs uh, before the invasion of Ukraine uh, by Russia. What it has done is really exacerbate longstanding issues that were there even before COVID. Um, These include you know, low fertilizer applica- application rates and, and poor soils, a massive dependency on rain across, you know, between 96 and 98 uh, percent of Africa's uh, land, uh, use of old seed varietals that are just not as, as productive, and lower agrochemical application rates in terms of being able to manage uh, insects um, and uh, weeds, etc. So very low yields. Yields that can be as low as 80% for some cereals versus the global uh, average. Now, add to that that even once it leaves the farm, we have a tremendous amount of, of waste and then loss, uh, up to 40% uh, of the food. And unfortunately, an increasing concentration, a reliance across Africa on a fewer number of, of cereals. We, we call the big three, wheat, uh, maize, and rice. And even when it comes to processing, there's too little whole grain consumption. There's been a preference for refined products, which are much less nutrient dense. Uh, Too little fortification, even if it's on the the books in terms of laws. When you actually do the testing, you find that many are cutting corners and not adding the micronutrients that are so critical. And too little blending of foods. So people are not getting the benefits of uh, what we call food to food fortification. Now, Fertilizer and fuel in particular, I think, have become more dear uh, as a result of Ukraine, fuel in particular. And fuel does contribute to the price increases, uh, especially for those consumers that are are farther inland, uh, where much more uh, fuel has to be uh, used in order to move the food. Those are all supply side issues, but there are very important demand side issues as well. Public budgets have been tight. Now, that has been as a result of fighting all of the uh, adverse conditions due to COVID-19, but they were also super extended before that. 
And what we find is that across most of Africa, governments are spending far more on debt servicing than they are on investing in their own agricultural productivity and production. And of course, we have a consumer base where it differs based on where you are in Africa, but it's typically between 50 to 30% of consumers' income is going to uh, buying food. And so even a small increase in the, the cost of food has a very big impact on a large number of consumers. So very much these problems were there before. Ukraine, I think, has exacerbated them, but also brought more attention to them, uh, recognizing how interdependent our food systems are across the world. The report to release calls for coordinated and immediate response by all stakeholders, that is governments, development institutions, banks and NGOs and private companies to make global food systems more resilient. What are some of the solutions that can reshape food systems in Africa? It's really a continuum because there are humanitarian actions and then there are transformative actions. Um, in the very near term, it really is about food aid. It's about direct cash and food and kind support and subsidies uh, for, for key foods that are typically uh, imported, just to make sure that prices um, are, are low enough uh, that we have adequate nutrient intake, uh, particularly by those that are, are, are most um, vulnerable. This really speaks also to any kind of institutionalized school feeding programs, um, as nutrition is all the more important in the first thousand days and then for young children. Um, we, we want to make sure that we do not have a generation that has been malnourished, as so much of the evidence is, that can have um, long-lasting consequences. In terms of, of exports and imports, um, we need to be very thoughtful about what we're exporting, but not triggering an export ban across the continent. Uh, the free trade agreement that has been signed should be followed through in the um, economic cooperation areas um, that exist need to make sure that we do have the ability for surpluses to go to areas uh, of, of greatest need. Um, there is still a functioning grain market. And as I say, the world commodity prices may be stabilizing after uh, a spike in reaction to the invasion of, of Ukraine. And so the ability to import grain is critical. Uh, so we have to make sure that those silos are monitored uh, and that we have um, the import terminals uh, able to receive the grain as is uh, needed. Now, very practically in the midterm, we need to think far more about substitution and formulation. And this is where the private sector plays such an important role. It is possible to substitute products which are broadly imported, such as wheat, but to even to some extent rice, with local and fortified grains. But that does take coordination across the entire value chain. We have to make sure that there is the demand from the consumers, there's the processing capacity and knowledge within the, the food processors themselves, and of course that farmers are, are growing these roots and tubers and alternative grains such as uh, millet and sorghum uh, to allow for that kind of diversification. Now in the long term, we need to do what we've always known, right, which is we need to reduce waste and loss. We need to, to, to ensure that we're changing farm practices to make sure that we're allocating the most high-yielding land uh, to the most important strategic uh, crops, ensure that we have the seeds and we have the soil nutrients and we have the crop protection that's required uh, to have the highest yields, um, and then make sure we have the storage infrastructure and the logistics to move that food to where 
it is most needed. Now, underpinning all of this is, as I've said, a need for finance. And one of the things that we could see being put in place to make sure that there is a long-term structural change is priority sector lending. This is a law where the government mandates that, that banks must put a certain percentage of their um, lending into the rural economy. This has been used to great effect in India, where 30% of banks' balance sheets must be put into the rural economy. And of course, the rural economy is dominated um, by agriculture. I think to further enhance that, not just with the stick of regulation, but with the carrot of blended finance. And by blended finance, we mean um, providing first loss guarantees and incentive payments to banks when they are directing credit to the agriculture and food sector. This is needed because it is true that agriculture lending has higher non-performing loan portfolios than other sectors. And so we need to find a way to equalize that by putting donor and philanthropic capital up as these first loss guarantees so that when those credit and loan decision-making bodies are meeting, they are not uh, favoring real estate or uh, other forms of manufacturing, but instead directing that credit towards agricultural production and, and food processing. So those are the set of activities that we think could help us not only address the near-term issues, but also help us become more resilient to these types of shocks. Because if it isn't conflict, it's likely to be climate. And so we need to put in these, these kind of um, measures to ensure uh, that we are better able to withstand these crises as they certainly will repeat in the future. That was Chris Mitchell, Managing Director and Partner at Boston Consulting Group, Nairobi. A quick review of the other stories making it into the podcast. The International Monetary Fund has cut its global growth forecast to 3.2% amid high inflation and the war in Ukraine and has warned the world could be teetering on the edge of global recession. In an update to its global growth forecast, the International Monetary Fund warned of risks to the global economy, which, if left unchecked, could push the world into a recession. High inflation and the risks posed by Russia's invasion of Ukraine are responsible for placing the global economy in peril. This is according to the IMF, adding that the worst-case scenarios are possible. In a statement, the IMF chief economist Pierre-Olivier Gorincha said the world may soon be teetering on the edge of a global recession, only two years after the last one. Gorinches adds that the current environment suggests that the likelihood that the U.S. economy can avoid a recession is quite narrow. Now, GDP growth worldwide will slow to 3.2% in 2022. The new estimate comes after the IMF had foreseen 3.6% growth in April of this year. The update added that the global GDP contracted in the second quarter due to downturns in China and Russia. Now, China's economy battered by COVID-19 lockdowns and a real estate-driven debt crisis is expected to grow at 3.3%, down 1.1% points from previous estimates. The IMF has also cut growth forecasts for 2023 of 3.6% announced in April to 2.9%. Growth worldwide had rebounded last year to 6.1% after the COVID-19 pandemic crushed output globally in 2020. A quick look at our markets. Turnover at the Nairobi Securities Exchange rose to 113 million Kenya shillings compared to the previous day's 93.5 million. A total of 5 million shares were traded. 
top gainer of the day was Limuru Tea with a 9.9% share price appreciation. Sapphire PLC was a top mover of the day, exchanging 2.51 million shares valued at 72.74 million Kenya shillings in 64 deals. The telecommunication giant closed the day at 29 Kenya shillings per share with a 1.69% share price depreciation. Centum was the top loser of the day with a 19.52% share price depreciation to close the day at 8 Kenya shillings per share. The Johannesburg Stock Exchange All Share Index closed 1% higher at a seven-week high of 68,422 with gains in almost all sectors led by a 2.8% rise in coal miners followed by a 2.4% gain in energy stocks. Meanwhile, South African retailer Woolworths ended almost flat after posting faltering growth in sales with results for the year ended June up 1.4% compared to a 9.7% jump in the year ended June 2021 as more people eat out and as sales fell in its Australian unit David Jones. Also, shares of Kumba Iron Ore shared 1.1% after posting a 50% slump in half-year profits amid lower iron ore prices and rising fuel and freight costs. Meanwhile, President Ramaphosa removed restrictions on the private sector to build power plants in a bid to end a 14-year energy crisis, which has intensified in recent months with poor maintenance and investment by state-owned utility, ESCOM leading to persistent power outages. Thank you for always waking up with us. Good Morning Africa is a product of the K Financial. If you have any suggestions or you want to check out more stories, visit our website, that is thekfinancial.com, and don't forget to subscribe. You can also find us on all social media platforms at the K Financial, and you can find me at Methodon.